Let me tell you who I am, but I want to I ask you a question, all right? So my name's Al Yano, um, father of six, husband of one. And uh, yeah, Paris and I have six kids. We adopted three of them. Um, we did inner city nonprofit ministry for 26 years. We planted a church in the heart of inner city multicultural church in Youngstown for 15 years. Um, and then the Lord moved us into uh, the position that we're in now with one word challenge. Because I, I would have stayed in Youngstown, Ohio, the most beautiful place in this state. Why are you laughing at me? So that's what people do when they hear Youngstown, if they're not from Youngstown. But you fall in love with people, right? So I would have stayed there for the rest of my life, but God put a word in my spirit, and the word was multiplication. And it was like, do you want to help my church multiply? And uh, he, he already reminded me through many experiences, I could do this with or without you anyways. If you think you're the show, you got it wrong. <laughs> like, you're not even the janitor to the show, but you're, I let you pastor this church. So that's me. But my question to you is you guys stepped into this room. Um, I want to know, like, why did you come into this room? Like, what do you expect to learn today? How about, is that a good question? What do you expect to learn today? All right, so somebody give me, I want to, the reason I'm asking this question, I want to make sure I hit the target. Like, if you want me to talk about women's ministry, and I'm talking about something else, I'm going to send you to another room, because I'm not going to hit that target. But, yes? Well, we're planning, we've already planted one church this year, and we're planning on planting three dinner churches by midsummer. We're here to see what we can find out to so he says he wants to talk about the fresh expression of dinner church and how we can advance that. That's excellent. Anybody else? Why'd you come? Yes. Fresh expression of volunteering. Come on. I got to make sure I hit that one. Fresh expression of volunteering. Sarah, make sure I don't miss that. Yes. Um, I'm planting uh, my churches. Nice. So you went Cincy, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Micro, she's talking about, she's planning micro churches. I know you're like, what is that? Yeah. Wait till you hear what it is. It's powerful. Um, yes. Be a better uh, speaker to a different audience. Excellent. You want to learn how to be a better speaker to, a different, audi to different audiences. Okay. I'm not sure I'm going to demonstrate that well, but I'll do my best to make sure we minister to that. Yes? Reaching those that have deconstructed. Ah, deconstructed. You mean when it comes to thinking about church? Yeah. And Christianity wow, okay. And Christianity altogether. Yeah. That's a big task, but I'm going to do it. We're going to hit that thing. <laughs> That's pretty much mine. How to be in the culture, not of the culture. Yes. Okay, excellent, excellent. I think, I think we're in it then. All right, so anybody else got any high, uh, what, what would I call it, high assignments for me? Yes. I was going to say, it's the same message, but just a different, deli different delivery. Yeah. yeah. Good. Got fresh expressions. Good. And somebody in a, over here, yes. I had a brand new idea on how, how to get it started. You have a brand new idea, and you want to talk about how to get it started. So Ah, there you go. All right. <laughs> if I don't get to that, he'll answer it. Josh, will you shut, shut that door? <laughs> All right. All right. We're three minutes out, so you guys want to you want to start, or what do you want to do? You want to? Yeah. I see you're getting hungry already. Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together. Uh, thank you for the people who are in this room. I'm encouraged just by hearing their statements that they get it. They get that this gospel message wasn't meant to be hidden under a bushel or in the four walls of a church. It's the greatest message that the world has ever heard. And we must take it to places where it's never been. Help us to find new ways to speak the same message of the gospel everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. This is going to be good. All right, let's talk about some things. Um, let me ask, I'm going to start with you guys answering some of these questions. Lane, this is Lane, my intern. Everybody say hi, Lane. Hi. From SEU. And he's helping us plant microchurches in Columbus. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. All right. How has the culture shifted in the last three years? Just throw some stuff at me. 
Yes. The culture has be become more detached from the church than it already was. Okay. Would you agree to that? Yes. All right. How has the culture changed? Anyone else? Anything and everything is acceptable. Whoa. Yes. Anything and everything is acceptable. Everyone's offended. Everyone. I call it angry America. It feels like a family reunion. <laughs> I mean, I'm Italian, like we throw food and everything, and then we come back the next year. But everybody's offended. Oh my goodness, yes. How else, how has the, how has the culture shifted in the last three years? Zoom. Zoom, yes. We have become professional Zoomers. That's totally different, because Zoom when I was young was a TV show on PBS. Who remembers that? Yes. I used to love that show. Yes. I think um, the newer generation Wow. Yeah. So the younger generation, they are not uh, opposed to spiritual encounters. <laughs> they just don't like the church for some reason. So we have to redefine the church, what it's supposed to be. That's a good comment. Judy. This world has been in a climate of hopelessness. Yeah. Yeah. See, she just teed that one up. Because the gospel is what? Good news, though, right? When you're in a culture of hopelessness, what they need is some good news. So we got to find ways to bring it. Yes? If they don't like it, they'll just cancel you. Yeah, cancel. Lord have mercy. Cancel culture. Oh, my Lord. Yes? I think just walking in fear, just being paralyzed. Yeah. A lot of paranoia. Yes, yes. I noticed no one's wearing a mask, so we got over that one, didn't we? I got one. Oh, you got one. And, and it's not, I mean, you want to be healthy, but I'm just saying, like, I'm like the hugger guy, and now I got to walk around saying, do you shake? Do you hug? Do, you, do I stand back? It's like, it's just a little awkward, but yes. Uh, people don't come to church for God anymore. They're coming for their own purposes. Mm. So let's talk about that. Question number two. How has the church changed in the last three to five years? So a lot of what we're preaching has turned into what's not true gospel. How about we be generous and say a lot of what we're preaching is not the full gospel. Yes. Yeah. Me centered rather than Christ centered. Ooh. I mean, even our worship is all about us. Yeah. So I would say, and then she said we stopped allowing the Holy Spirit to move. I would, I would, yes. Make sure I talk about the word lordship at some point. If I don't say, didn't you say you were going to talk about lordship? So, because we're, what we have is people who have Savior but not Lord. You can't have Savior without Lord. <laughs> like we're king's kids, which means we're part of a kingdom, which means there's a king. <laughs> yeah. And the culture of the kingdom has to radiate through us because we're ambassadors of the kingdom. There we go. Okay, we solved that. Any, any other ways that the church has changed in the last three to five years? Politically dichotomized. Yeah, yeah, we're ch more charged than ever before. <laughs> He's, you know why he says that? Stephen and I had, we led multicultural churches, literally. And it, I'm telling you, I had to have a whole seminar on don't bring your politics into this church. God does have an opinion about issues. We'll talk about issues theologically, but don't bring your politics in it. And I had people on both sides of the aisle get mad at me, but I told them, look, Jesus, Jesus don't follow donkeys or elephants. He's the king. So that's the way it goes. Good, good one. Okay, let's get into this thing, all right? So here's a couple other things. Sunday morning attendance has gone down, right? So it's no, and, and, and then we talked about, um, here's another shift that I have learned as I'm studying churches. We've gone from mega church to multi-site church, and now we're into micro church. <laughs> we're going to talk about that in a minute, because th that's not a bad thing. Um, but one positive I've seen out of the church in the last three years, there's many, but one, 
I believe the church has become more compassionate and gotten more into the community than we ever have. I think COVID has caused us to see the mission field. And it gave us permission to not be consumed by the machine of church, but to be driven by the mission of the church. That's what we're talking about today, right? Um, I think God wants to shift us. Now, I'm getting into my message a little bit, but he wants to shift us from gathering only to going. <laughs> Sent people. We talked about in one of the classes here. Um, the Lord's pulling out, shifting the church away from program-based to people-based. Like how many of you during COVID made a lot of phone calls and did a lot of pastoral, you know, checking up on people, bringing food to their house. So we've gotten back to that pastoral care thing and caring for people. I know we got leaders in this room. You're thinking, I'm not a pastor, but you do shepherding. <laughs> you care about people. So I want I I to start with the bad news and then we'll get to the good news. But we have to, like, taste reality in order to see the solutions. Because you guys know the statement, if we keep doing the same thing, we keep getting the same results. But it's almost like sometimes the church says, but we've always done it this way. And even churches that are growing are telling me, well, I'm at 900, 1,000 people. We're doing fine. And I'm thinking, compared to what? Hell? <laughs> you know? I'm glad that you're growing, but the number, that, the, the rate that you're growing in your building is not growing at the rate that people are getting lost outside your building. So we have to get a rhythm of gathering to go. Hello? So let's, let's look at some reality and don't get mad at me. But there's a sociological problem within the Church of America. Let's just talk about America. And here's some stats I'm going to put up here. Now these stats were, were um, found, I can't remember the organization, but uh, Dr. Verlin Fosner brought us these stats, and I think it was from the Harvard Institute of something. But it, what was it? Hartford. Hartford Institute of Church Growth. 80, just look at the stats. Tell me what stands out to you. Okay. I heard someone say 96 churches closed per week. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Now, I'm, I'm the church multiplication guy, by the way, at, at uh, Ohio Ministry Network, so we plant churches. I'm pumped that we, we, last year we planted 17 churches. That's the most we planted in years. But I want to tell you something. We also closed a lot of churches. And so it's not about planting churches. I, I'm, I'm skipping ahead. It's about planting the gospel. The church becomes the vehicle. I, yeah, I'm kind of concerned that only 1% of churches are growing from conversions. And a lot of them are growing from transfer. Yes? I've Yeah, yeah, good. We, we, oh man, you're all over it. So take a look at this one. This is Christianity in America uh, by the Barna Institute. You'll see that somewhere around 2012, there was a shift where America became really fast um, non-Christian, right around here. And we're right about here right now. We're only 25% of America is practicing Christians. And so we've had this huge shift right in the middle of the 2000 era. That, that didn't take long for that shift to take place. Um, and, and what concerns me is, I think, yeah, this one here. Since COVID, we still got 32% of those practicing Christians not going to church. So there's a dead monkey on the line somewhere. Like, how is the church supposed to do what we're supposed to do if we're not even where we're supposed to be <laughs> getting equipped to do it? Yes? I mean, doesn't that, I, I feel like it plays in with the, the falling away. Yeah. I mean, we're in the end times. It is biblical. Yeah. It is definitely biblical. God warned us about this. But, I mean, we don't want that. No, we don't want it to happen. The Bible says it's going to happen. It is going to happen. 
Yes. A lot of them got so comfortable on Zoom that they feel as though they don't have to go. Yeah, I mean, come on now. Who went to church in their pajamas in the last two years? Huh? All right, I, I confess. I do confess. Okay. Um, here's, a, here's another thing. So we're going somewhere with all this. But George Barnard did an, he did an interview with Christians. And he asked Christians, do you know what the Great Commission is? He found that 51% of Christians don't even know what the Great Commission is. Uh, 25% can say, yeah, I, I think I know what that is, but I don't know exactly what it means. And only 17% can say, yeah, I know what it means. <laughs> okay? So I call that the great omission of the great commission. <laughs> like, we don't even know why. We don't know the why. And so, we're going to come up with answers now. Don't, get it, don't, don't panic yet. So, I believe that, and I got this from Dr. Chris Brackert. He's um, connected to an organization called Fresh Expression. So all around America, there's churches that are bringing the gospel in fresh ways in communities to dark places or places that don't have light. And they're, they're not changing the message. They're just making sure it gets to people in a way that they can connect. And that's through relationships. All right, It isn't what the doctrine that you preach doesn't change. You have to connect with them in relationship. So this is what he says. There's, there's three, three things that got to happen, three areas of revitalization, re-engineering, remissioning, and revival. All of these things got to happen. Let me, let me define this. So recalibration or re-engineering means we need to take the present church to a new level of outreach through new focuses, new vision, and new structures. Does that make sense? In fact, I told people all around Ohio, as I visited them during COVID, I said, COVID gave you permission to kill the fattened calf <laughs> that needs to die, or the golden calf, and blame it on somebody else. <laughs> so you won't get voted out. But some things have got to die so we can re-engineer new focuses. What is remissioning? Remissioning is focusing on living out the Great Commission in fresh new ways. Remissioning. So we're going to talk about that. And then revival means that we don't do anything without the Spirit's power. We need the Holy Spirit more than ever before. Not only should we be teaching about it, talking about it, praying in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, but the world should see that we are Spirit-filled people. And it doesn't just happen because they hear us speak in tongues. It happens because they see us living out the Gospel. Amen? So that's where we're going. Let me set this up with the word picture uh, of fresh expression. So if the body of Christ were a tree, it's not that we don't need the established church. Where would we be without the churches that are, you go to and I went? I've pastored and everything. What, but what the established church does is it creates a root system. Because every tree needs a root system. And this root system goes down deep and wide into the soil and that's the story of the established church. The, the, the older that they are, the more those roots get into the soil. And that doctrine and that story and that established uh, purpose of a, an established church becomes what keeps it alive in the future. However, say however, there needs to be a system that's going to produce fruit. And that's what we would call discipleship. I'm going to get to that in just a second. So the fruit, the trunk, feeds the branches. And you know as well as I do that sometimes when a plant, especially a grapevine, produces fruit, what does the farmer do after it produces fruit? He prunes it. So sometimes you've got to cut some things out so other things can come out. You know, be, so it's just a picture of how, and then when you do start to bear fruit, the concept of the fruit, like I do this all the time when I travel, I take an apple and I say, this apple has three potentials with it. First of all, I can eat this thing. But if I eat this apple and throw away the core, I just removed multiplication. And too often, all we do is chomp on the fruit of the gospel at our Holy Spirit parties. <laughs> 
and throw away the most important part, <laughs> which is the work of the gospel, what it's supposed to do through us. And so this fruit is awesome. I'm so glad you came to church today, and I'm so glad you brought your friends, and I'm so glad the Word of God moved, and you went to the altar, and we prayed. And the reason I'm glad is because when you leave, you're going to go tell someone about it. And now we're going to plant seeds. So my goal is to th get you thinking about how do we plant the seeds of the gospel everywhere we go? Create an army of people. Isn't that good? In order to do that, we've got to make some shifts. So now we're going to talk about what kind of shifts in thinking and behavior. We're going to talk about seven of them. And uh, I'm going to get this done in the name of Jesus. Uh, let's talk about the first one. This book called Next Wave, I'll talk about it at the end, was written by an Assembly of God pastor who was the first person that created the Church Multiplication Network. So this is an Assembly of God pastor wrote a book about how we've been trying to reach 21st century people with 20th century methods. <laughs> and if you were to talk to our dinner church coach, uh, Dr. Verlin Fosner, he would say, that we've been stuck in this style of proclamation gospel and putting you to the test call for how long? Since 1500, roughly. Yeah, since 1500. Since Constantine said, the church will now become official. And then it became one person standing at an altar talking to people in pews. Now it became liturgical, so that, that the Reformation came and Martin Luther helped us shift towards the gospel but it's still about one person standing up front while everybody else sits in the pews. <laughs> Jesus taught. He did teach multitudes, but he discipled in circles. We're going to talk about that. So rediscovering church. He wrote this next way. Rediscover church from building the institution to catalyzing movement. This is one I'm going to spend a little time on because I've got to get you thinking different. Uh, I think i got the right people in the room. The first thing I want you to understand how many have used this phrase? Hey, you going to church today? I'm going to go to church today. And what I've learned since I started thinking different, and I've been around the church a long time, you don't go to somewhere that you are. <laughs> as long as we keep talking that way, then people are going to think the church is this building that we show up with. You are the church. We are the church. You say, you mean we shouldn't gather? No, 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 we gather. <laughs> we gather for worship. We gather for discipleship. But we need to understand that the church is a movement of disciple-making people. It's not a building and it's not a brand. So people come to me and say, well, you're the church planting director. How come you say you don't plant churches? Because we don't. We plant the gospel. <laughs> We make disciples and churches emerge because the church is God's thing. He created that to, to catalyze. So let's talk about movement. All right. Um, if you think about the book of Acts, chapter 2, 42 through 47, how many of you have it memorized? If not, go ahead and turn there. And um, let's just start with, as you're reading it, Somebody just start throwing out some things that they, the behaviors that they practiced. The Follow the teaching of the apostles. Prayer. Prayer. What else? Breaking of bread. Gathering in homes. Fellowship. You guys all do that at your church, don't you? <laughs> the problem is that if you want movement, you can't institutionalize. <laughs> With God meant to be organic. Movement happens when you break bread at your house with somebody. When you go to a coffee shop and you break open God's word. And, and then the two of you reach somebody else. And so we're talking about how we got to shift our thinking from how do we build the institution of the church to how do we build the movement through the mission of the church. So now if I'm pastoring Delphus Assembly, my thinking is going to be about how do I take these hundred and some people and turn them into disciple-making missionaries everywhere they go? That's movement. Not how do I get them to show up on Sunday morning and stop calling me at the last minute because they can't be in the nursery. How do I get them to understand that what they're going to do in the nursery is multiply the gospel through these little kids? Right. 
They're missionaries. So we've got to catalyze a movement. This, this is a whole seminar in and of itself. This is who was in Dele's class. Uh, Dele spoke. Okay, this is what he was talking about. Movement. All right? Alan Hurst says this. I'm completely convinced that we need... What we need is first and foremost to reconceive the church as missional or better yet apostolic movement. <laughs> Once we embrace this more biblical paradigm of church, we will then begin to think and act like a movement that we were designed to be. So how do we do that? Here's a strategy. Um, fresh expressions of the church in the culture. The goal is the multiplication of disciples. Now, this is hard because when a typical pastor, when I asked them, how's your church doing? What metrics do they think, do you think that they automatically default to? Attendance, right? What else? Money. They, someone says, but budget and building. How many buts? How many budgets? Am I allowed to use that word? Um, so, the strategy is fresh expressions. And, and th let's imagine what life would be like if the activity that took place at your church was split 50-50 between what goes on in the building and what goes on outside the building. So that when people leave the building, it's not an ending of the activity of the church that week. It's a sending yes. of the activity of the church that week. Movement happens when we take people and we say, you're a missionary everywhere you work, everywhere you play, everywhere you go to school, everywhere you shop, everywhere you live. So who, who in here is in technology for your field? Like, like you do technology for your field. or Anybody? All right, who's a non-pastor in this room? You don't work at a church for your field. Okay, what do you do? What do I do? Yeah. Oh, I'm complicated. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm a professor of public speaking. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a professor of public speaking, and I had my own business teaching people how to speak, and COVID killed it. So, wow. Uh, so then I, had, I got hired to develop business for someone else for a while. So, but you're in the business world. Yes. I, I, and this is a, so how, what's a fresh expression of the gospel through the world that you're in? Well, before we start a Zoom meeting, we pray. There you go. <laughs> and I know people that are that are into this business world and when they when they interact with people they're looking for opportunities to have gospel conversations. Yeah. You'd be you'd be surprised how much brokenness is in the business world. Yes. So you got to so it's about thinking about how to do things different. I know Fred wouldn't say it but we'll get to that. Well, let me just show you some pictures. So like here's a fresh expression. Here's a guy who's a this is David. He's from um, Dayton. He has a biker church. All right, that's a fresh expression of church. First of all, I wouldn't probably fit in well because my wife won't let me ride a motorcycle. People get intimidated when I wear leather. Um, <laughs> but these folks do not want to go to a typical traditional church. Do you know where David meets these people? He goes to that 1% biker bar. He's been invited to go. You guys know what the 1% is? I had to learn it. Those, those are like the baddest of the baddest. It's like the mafia of the biker world. Like, these are the biker bars where these guys are like criminals. Like, they're mean. And he goes there, and he builds friendships, and they give him a table and say, set up all your Jesus stuff at this table. And he started meeting them at the biker bar. Of course, you've got to have a motorcycle to do this. And his wife would come with him. And then finally, after several years, they said to him, when are you going to start a church? I'd come to your church. That's fresh expressions. So he started a biker church outside under a tent. And somebody gave him a building. They bought a building and they got a biker church. And that's a fresh expression of church. All right? There he is, preaching from a biker pulpit. Now that gets me excited right there. Huh? That's like the equivalent of me preaching with a bowl of pasta in front of me. Here's dinner church. Carl just did a class on dinner church. Several of you are doing dinner church. It's a descriptor term. Dinner church is it's, it's, a, it's a return to the New Testament church. 
They, they had the agape love feast, right, in the New Testament. Paul would rebuke them because people would bring foil to the agape love feast. You know what I'm talking about, Josh. Like they'd get their meal and then they'd scoop up in the foil two other meals to take home while all the widows are waiting in line down there. And Paul's rebuking them. And like it's, so you know 1 Corinthians 11. All that stuff that happened before communion. They had a love feast. And at the love feast, they, they made sure orphans, widows, and immigrants were there. Foreigners were there. People who didn't fit in. And then they ate dinner together. They had communion together. Carl, you have to go to his class. But dinner churches are popping up all over Ohio. It's a descriptor term. Yes, ma'am. That's it. That is yours. Are you the pastor now? That's the pastor right there. So this is up in Cleveland. They're one of our early adopters. Here's another dinner church that goes on in a, in a restaurant. They do it in a restaurant. And they literally have dinner around the table. They tell the Jesus story. They, they uh, invite people to eat with them. Do you know people will eat with you if you invite them? I'm telling you. Okay, so fresh expressions. Okay, number two. How am I doing? Okay. We need to recalibrate discipleship. A shift from programs to relationships. Somebody turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. As they're reading, I'm going, I want you to focus in on the verbs of what Jesus is commissioning us to do. You guys know that's the Great Commission, right? Don't be one of the 40% that don't know. <laughs> we should have t-shirts about that. Don't be one of the 40%. <laughs> All right, what's it say? Who has Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Listen for the verse. Can you read it out loud? Yeah, sure. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. Okay, get, what's the first verb that you hear Jesus say? Go. Go, okay. Go. Let's just start with go. Let's pick, listen, I'm a pastor. Uh, I can pick on me. What do we tend to do? Jesus tells us to go. What is our energy spent on at church? Come. <laughs> am I right or am I wrong? We spend a lot of energy advertising. Come, 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 come. When Jesus said go, 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 go. And here's what I've learned. We said it when we planted our church. We said we're going to go more than we come. And if you go more than you come, they come. They come. Because you went to them first. But see how we got to rethink this thing about discipleship? A true disciple is a sent one. Did you ever hear that definition before? Okay, go and what? What's the other, next verb? Make disciples. All right. Make disciples. I know we're picking a little bit on the church. It's all right. We, we got to rethink this. What do we tend to do instead? Obey. Why you got to throw that at me like Sorry. that? Jesus came and You got anybody specific in mind that you're talking about? Yeah, that's good. What do we tend to do then instead of make disciples? We're going to skip past that, but that was a good word. We make believers, converts, but not disciples. We make members. We call our discipleship class... Next step for membership, but how? <laughs> I gotta watch it. Let's do this. We need to re engineer our membership class to be about what it means to be a disciple, not a good church member. Is that all right? That was a safe move. Okay. Make disciples. What's the next verb in there? Baptize. Oh my. Okay, baptize. Okay. Baptize. Okay, so what does baptism mean? Immerse. Why do we baptize people? To renew your mind. Oh, new person. New person. I thought it was about putting numbers on the ACMR. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Why do we baptize? Immersion into a new culture of living, right? So what do we tend to baptize people into? 
if we're, if we're not careful. Water, yeah. We're, thank you. You two deserve to hang out together. <laughs> what, what do we tend to baptize them in? What were you saying? Membership. Membership. The church family. The church family, which this is all good stuff. But if you major on what's not the most important, then what you get is good members who don't know the Bible, don't know how to follow Jesus, don't reach out to lost people, and get mad if you sit in their pew. Because they're a member and they pay money to be here. Right? All right, I'm not going. Bad. Bad. Okay, so baptize. What's the next verb? Teach. Teaching them. Okay. How do we teach people? Example. Um, yeah, that's how I'm going to teach you. <laughs> you sit here, I'm going to tell you, just like I'm doing with you all. But you see how I'm letting you talk. talk. You're, you're, you're preaching this sermon. So t- there's nothing wrong with proclamation teaching, but there has to be application and impartation. <laughs> so like, like, like if, if I'm going to hang out with, with uh, Peg and... and uh, Dan Holbrook and go to their church they can teach me a lot of things but I'm going to learn about who they are that's impartation and then they're going to show me how to apply it if they'll hang out with me enough so that's my hint they haven't had me over for dinner yet but yeah teaching them to obey all things is a journey not a 101 201 301 class so the class is okay if you've taken them on a journey of life together we're going to get to that but I want to talk to you about the, um, the, uh, the issue of the strategy here is what John Musgrave talks about, relational discipleship, making disciples through relationships. The goal is disciple-making movement. Anyone can make a disciple. Anyone. You do not have to be in a certain Sunday school class to make a disciple of Jesus. You don't have to have credentials to make a disciple of Jesus. You just better not mess up with your theology. Um, we do happen to have some of these, and we'll, the, the first 30 people at the end that want to run lane over can get one of these books. But we print these to, for the whole network. It's called Relate, Making a Rel- Relational Disciple. John Musgrave and his team did a great job. I'm going to move on because I'm having too much fun with this. Okay, reimagine evangelism. From just outreach events to personal and community transformation. Um, Here's the deal. Most churches, when they think of the word outreach, they think of what? That's good that you said I like that you said that. They think of probably events. We're going to do an egg hunt for Easter. We're going to do a backpack event. Now, events are good because, but the purpose of an event is to, and I tell my church, we're going to do a block party, not because I want to make hot dogs and have people come to our place. I want them to encounter you. That's why I want. So when you're handing them a hot dog, if you're not talking to them, I'm removing you from your assignment. I can get a a kid down the street to make a hot dog. I need disciple makers. So events are about meeting people to make disciples. So we've got to talk past just events to a, a, a DNA, a culture of living like missionaries everywhere we go. And uh, I'm going to move into this. What's the strategy? Personal and corporate mission action plan. All right? I'm going to use this young man over here because I'm proud of him. Lane, Lane came to... My college class, we talked about what is church multiplication. We talked about living like a missionary everywhere you go. So Lane went back to the apartment complex where SEU Ohio lives. It's called Kenyon Square. Hundreds of people in there, maybe a thousand so. He took the SEU students and he sat down with who would sit down with them. He put together a mission action plan to reach Kenyon Square with the gospel. Everything from let's have coffee, inviting people to coffee, to he did a little chili cook-off thing. We did a trunk or treat. Those were events. But then he started realizing, if I just plan things, I'm not getting great results. What if I went to their events? So he started taking some of the students to their events, and they're, now they're meeting people, right? Anything you want to say about that? Any story? Um, it's, it's awesome. Well, um, when I first like, started feeling the burden 
for my apartment complex in the community there, I saw the like non-Christian aspect, like uh, all, all like the worldly things that were going on there. There was drunkenness, there was idolatry, there were uh, single parents struggling. Um, but what I didn't expect to see was the fellow believers there that are non-SEU students, uh, fellow Christians that I didn't expect to meet, that were praying for something to happen, a, a movement to serve that kingdom. And it's just awesome when you you start praying for people to come, yeah. uh, for har harvesters to be sent. What's really interesting is God sends others, and others pray the same thing, and you eventually just start doing mission together. So there's non-SEU students that... Yeah, right. It's pretty cool. They're just getting their feet wet. And if you were in Carl's class earlier, he would tell you the best place for a dinner church is not in a church. <laughs> it's in a place where there is no church. I talk to people all the time about planting. Why are we planting in someone else's garden? <laughs> it's like it, it, if there's already carrots and, and uh, corn here, why am I planting more carrots and corn here? Why don't I go where there's no carrots and corn and plant there? So... Dinner church is a fresh expression of the gospel, but you don't want to necessarily plant it in your building unless your building has a really good spot in town and people like your church. If they like you, that's one thing. But like most churches, people get nervous about coming who've never been to church because it's uncomfortable at the very best. And so you do it in a neutral spot where there is no church. And now you're bringing a fresh expression of the gospel. So it's lifestyle. So every church, I believe, and I'll help you throughout the year, I want to help you put together a mission action plan for your community, and we got some tools to do it. Over the next year, we're going we're gonna to put together a whole jump drive and link online of ways that you can exegete your community, which means you go and ask powerful questions to powerful people. You sit with principals, you sit with teachers, you sit with social workers, you sit with neighbors, you sit with police officers, you sit with citizens and you ask questions and you learn about your community so that you don't go into a school and say, hey, our church wants to adopt you. Now here's what we want to do. <laughs> but you go to a school and say, hey, our church wants to adopt you because we're your neighbor. How can we be a better neighbor to you? What can we do? What do you need? And he says, well, we just need people to pick up trash after the football game. Well, that's not what we're called to do. We're gospel people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the gospel is about, yes. about embedding yourself in the community so you earn the right to be heard. It's about saturation. Here's what I tell other church planters also. It's like people come to me a lot of times and say, Al, when you guys start planting churches, don't be putting them in my city. We already got a church there. My response is, do you have gospel saturation in your city? <laughs> like, has every person in your city heard the gospel? Have you reached them in every context? No, no, we got about a 300-member church. Room. We're, we're pumping. Oh, yeah, what about the retirement home that can't drive to your church? What if you just went there and did a gospel service for them? <laughs> well, they don't tithe. Oh, okay, <laughs> so don't get me going on that. But I'm just saying, what we're trying to do is saturate the gospel everywhere. So, like, I'll just use you for example again. we got a small town called Ada. Fred's from Ada. He's got this building in Ada. We'll show you in a minute that they, they multi-purpose it. they got a full fitness gym in there. they got a coffee shop in there. they got boutiques in there. they got shared space for people. And then they got a community room where they're going to do dinner church out of, youth ministry out of. they got all that going on. on, a, on a, right down the street, there's a church, I think, real close to the school, right? Ohio Northern. And they want to do a ministry to the college students. We don't have gospel saturation in Ada. <laughs> but what we do have is two apostolic leaders that want to reach two different people groups. Let's go for it. Amen? And so we need gospel saturation is the key. Okay. Keep going here. Three levels of community impact. I shared this yesterday if you were there, but I'll just hit it with you right now. Blessing your community is when you do events and you go and be a good neighbor to serve when you serve. But there's another level that you need to step into, which is called pastoring your community. That's when you step into community life. You show up at the parent-teacher conferences, and you go to uh, city council meetings, and you lean into community life and community pain. If there's, if there's a struggle with addiction, you, maybe you lean into that. If the kids don't have anywhere to go after school, and we're seeing a lot of dropout rate or a high truancy rate, 
Maybe you lean into that moment, but you, you lean into community life. And then if you do that long enough, you get to the point where you're revitalizing your community. That's where you get, that's where you've been so long embedded in the community, you literally are writing the script. You're changing the ecosystem. We talked about that yesterday. Like, that's when, like in Youngstown, I was there 26 years. And I'll be honest with you, there's nothing special about me. My wife, yes, not me. But there's something special about longevity in a community. <laughs> right, Josh, you know that. Like, they go to Josh now. The mayor will go to Josh and say, what do you think about the South Side? How can we make it better? I remember when the, the mayor was running for office, he came to me. He said, Pastor, I want to talk to you. I said, oh, no, I'm not going to recruit for you. He said, I'm not looking for recruitment. I just want to know what, you're, what do you want to see happen on the South Side? I said, well, it's good that you asked because we wrote a whole plan. We had a whole strategic plan for the South Side. We want these houses knocked down. We want these businesses to have better security. We want this school to have better police support as the kids walk home so gangs don't shoot at them. We need more community gardens and less blight in these neighborhoods. And we just went at it. He goes, okay, if I become, if I become uh, mayor, this will be the plan for the South Side and we'll fund it. I kid you not. He got voted in as mayor. Our plan became his plan for the south side of Youngstown, and he funded it. You don't get that unless you do the first two. You don't get that here. You do earn that here. God wants us to start writing a script, but you got to be in the community to do it. Amen? So let me move on. Oh, there's us. That, we did community gardens. That's our crew. Um, and then we did community outreach. Okay, number four, redefine missions. Now, this is, this is hard because I want us to understand that there are true apostolic missionaries <laughs> that God calls to go to every part of the world. These are our heroes. And because they're willing to go and we can't, we need to send them and support them. The God, we have an uh, international call to bring the gospel to every corner, there's no excuse. <laughs> Amen? Amen? However, at the same time, we are called to live like missionaries where we're at. Right. And I tell people, if you will get the mindset that you are a missionary where you live, you will never run from missionaries when they call you and ask you to support them. <laughs> because you know what it's like to live like a missionary. So, I just want to hit... And you may or may not agree with these terms, but I, I just want us to look at this. Join, mission, what does it mean to be missional? I believe it means to join Jesus on his mission, on his mission, by adopting the posture of a missionary to your community. So some people say, well, you're really not a missionary unless you're going to an un, unreached people group and, and they've never heard the gospel. I agree with that, but I can still live with the posture of a missionary because there's people in my neighborhood that are from Nepal that are Hindus, that have never gone to Jesus. They don't know Jesus. So we need, we need to live missional. And then the next thing is missions. The pursuit of sharing and showing the gospel to all corners of the earth. So when you put those together, a missional church is one that has defined their mission, is postured in the community as missionaries, and is committed to, to live out the mission of God at home and around the world. That's what I would call a church living on mission with Jesus. All right? Can I go forward? You guys got that? Um, so, redefining missions. Strategy. Here's a strategy for you. The missionary pathway. I got I to gotta go quick on this one, but let me just put it out there. When I read the New Testament, how did they get movement of the gospel? In 120 people turned the world upside down in a hostile culture because the Romans were killing them literally arresting them and killing them, and the Jews were rejecting them. <laughs> How do these people get the gospel spread out to the whole world? And, and they, they live like missionaries. So let me just hit this. We, this is called the missionary pathway that we teach our team in Columbus. You may want to, I'll talk to you more about this, but when you read the New Testament, everything started with prayer. They just prayed everywhere. <laughs> they prayed in the upper room and they kept praying. Something amazing happens when you actually walk your neighborhood with your dog, when you're taking your dog on a walk, and you're praying over the house as you walk through. You get supernatural encounters. I'm a witness of that one. 
Something happens when you go, like in Youngstown, every time there was a shooting, we had three to five pastors that would go to that neighborhood the day after the week of, and we would knock on every door. How you feeling? How'd you feel about that? Are you okay? We would go to the family of the victim with the police. They would take us with them. How you doing? Are you okay? Don't seek revenge. <laughs> okay, let us deal with this. How can we support you? But the more you begin to pray through your community, you begin to feel the heart of God. And so it all starts with prayer and then living as a missionary everywhere you go, everywhere you work. Um, and then you plant the gospel everywhere you go, everywhere you work. It works. All of a sudden, people rise up and become disciples, and then churches emerge. And, and then you get multiplication because you got disciples that start doing the same thing. So we got to redefine what missions is. I think somebody said it in one of the sessions. I thought it was yesterday and today. They said, everybody's sent. Everybody is sent. There's no excuse. So if we continue to create a culture in our churches where they sit rather than are sent, then we have got to adjust our leadership. Hello? Because we're part of the problem. If we work too hard to make people feel comfortable sitting because we're afraid to offend them. I'll take five people in my church that are sent over 500 people that sit any day of the week. Because the 500 people will exhaust me, burn me out, make me want to run away forever. <laughs> but the five people will put so much energy into me, quickly that five will turn into 10, will turn into 20, will turn into 50, 100. But we got to live like missionaries. Um, number five, I love this one. Repurpose buildings from church property to community outreach centers. So during COVID, one of the things that made me really proud of the church is churches that couldn't meet on Sunday morning were using their building more during the week than they ever used it in their history. <laughs> they became feeding centers, tutoring centers, <laughs> overnight shelters. <laughs> I mean, the amazing things that were going on. The, the public schools were literally coming to us in Columbus. The public schools were coming to the church and saying, we have students that can't go to school. They don't have internet. Their parents can barely read and they have to go to work. They're unsupervised. Will you open your building and let these kids have access to, to tutors, to lunch, and to the internet? And the church has said, Sure. Next thing we know, we had thousands of kids coming to churches that have never been to church because they leaned in. They repurposed their building. I told you about Fred's building. I think I got a picture of your building, Fred. I'm going to see. Moving from full, from full service ministry, move to full service ministry centers and build the kingdom. I'll talk more about that. This is uh, a church in Dayton. It's an immigrant church. Peg Holbrook organized a whole section to do an outreach for Pastor Amon, an immigrant church uh, of French-speaking Africans, right? French-speaking wow. mixture. Mixture. They, most of them came from, they were refugees from war-torn countries like Rwanda and stuff like that. Pastor uh, Amon got a building and the section helped them remodel it. <laughs> They put in a lot of their uh, uh, innovative uh, techno stuff, painted the kids' church rooms. Um, we, we brought in one of our MAPS missionaries, took the basement and turned it into the hat. And then, and then they did this big outreach where the neighbors came from all over. They gave out food. They gave out clothing. There were so many city officials there. Maybe you should just tell the rest of the story after that. Well, there were a couple of commissioners. Uh, everyone who came said, we didn't even know this church was here. But the police officer says, oh, we knew because the Africans are so such a pleasure. Fast forward, now Pastor Amon has two different schools in his building, one to teach English, one for credentialing, I guess three, one for homework. They're in contact with the school officials with interpreters, and uh, they also have asked him to join the board of Welcome Dayton. 
So he's now on a committee with the Welcome Dayton City officials to say what the immigrants in this section of the city need. Do you, do you see the influence there? He also just talked with, I was on a conference with him with the National Mission Directors of the Assemblies of God to help with credentialing African uh, pastors to plant churches and to all around Ohio and the nation. All around the nation. And that building can be used as a training center. So my, my point is, he thought differently about what a church building is supposed to be. It's a community center that houses a church. If we can start thinking differently about that, it's a community center that houses it. How many different ways can we use our buildings? And, and uh, so here's a picture of Fred. We've got to brag on Fred. Took this old building, turned it into a coffee shop. Man, do I sense the spirit when I look at those. Uh, on the other side is a full fitness gym, always gospel music playing. Uh, they're doing dinner church. Go ahead. Tell us what you're doing in there. Well, uh, we started... you got to say it so they hear in your back, so stand up and turn around. We started with uh, youth service uh, in November. My daughter's a credentialed minister. And uh, started out with... Uh, well, we started with fifth quarter. The first week we had... Uh, 50 kids. By the next week, uh, we had 109. So we started a youth service there. She uh, ministers on Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, in a small community that's about 6,000, half of that's college, which is 3,000. Uh, she started out with uh, about 15 kids. She's running 30 now. And it's, that's just growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, so we said we was going to start a plant a church in the studio part of it. January uh, second, we did that. And so we're having service at 3 p.m. on Sundays to make sure we can get there because I hadn't even got a, a pastor at point yet. But it's like the need was like the parents were saying, we love what you're doing for the kids. What are you going to do for us? Yeah. So, so it's a building that's used all throughout the week that, all throughout the week. that has a church in it. Yeah. And then uh, I love it. playing a dinner church out of it also. Come on. It makes so me hungry. I do dinner church on Monday nights, a regular church on Sunday. And so it's just going to go from there. Coffee church. <laughs> Don't, don't try, don't try brewery church. Don't start that stuff. Um, Though there are dinner churches that do that. Yeah, well, we're the assemblies of God. Um, I'm going to get through this real quick. Revitalized community. This is really important. Though, how many of you have small groups in your church? Small groups are disciple-making machines. If you will remission them and repurpose them, they're. A small group that is just about gathering and, hey, we like to play pool together or, or whatever. We like to basket weave. Um, that's only one piece of discipleship. Yeah, you do life together. But discipleship is about growing in faith together. It's about living on mission with Jesus together. And so this whole concept of microchurch can happen in your small groups. Your small groups might be the next church because they can evolve. And I'll hit on that in just a minute. Just yes. Real quick, I wanted to add because of activity breeds activity. This couple beside me, because I passed from Delphus, which is 40 miles away, come to me and said, "Hey, we love what you're doing in Ada. We want to replicate it in Delphus, a church where we have our parent church. So our parent church will be over these. They're going to do a coffee shop style uh, craft store. Same thing. The church in there you go. In our community where we have a church. So let, let's, let's, let's zero in on this um, small group. When I say microchurch, I want you to know that Jesus did his best work in circles. 3, 12, 70. That's what I read. And they did some powerful things. Now, 120 changed the world. I get that. He preached to multitudes. He discipled in circles. If you can understand this small group. So like, Paris and I will tell you our story real quick. Uh, after pastoring all those years in Youngstown, we moved to Columbus. My assignment was church multiplication, start churches all over the state. But then I began to realize during COVID when I couldn't travel that I actually lived in Columbus. I'm a, I'm a citizen of Columbus. And I had no passion for Columbus. So I started saying, this is my city. What do I need to do to live like a missionary? And we started planting the gospel everywhere we went. In our neighborhood, we went to outreach centers, went to Dream Center. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, I didn't bring you here just to multiply in Ohio. You're in Columbus. Why can't you multiply disciples in Columbus? I said, because if I start a traditional church, all the Assembly of God churches are going to get mad at me. <laughs> and he said, because I'm the director of church planting. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, that's a conflict of interest, right? Um, 
But God said, I didn't tell you to plant a church. I told you to make disciples. <laughs> and so we started these small circles saying, well, where are there not Assembly of God Church and where are there not people that are Christians? And we went to these different communities. We started these small circles. We're training them how to live like missionaries, how to make disciples, how to have conversations, and then how to have dinner. And then we're going to split in about three or four months and we're going to have four or five, hopefully, micro-churches around the city and then train another group. The goal is gospel saturation. And so when I say by revitalized community, I mean use your dinner table, use your friendship circles, use your family reunions to become gospel-planting places and watch what God does. And then finally, oh, strategy, extended spiritual families. Think of your small groups as extended spiritual families developing in worship, community, and mission. It isn't a replacement of your church, but it's an extended spiritual family. If you don't have a church and like we're doing, then start with the micro church rather than starting with the big church and watch how the way Jesus did it. It's very interesting. Um, number seven, this is the last one, reactivate the spirit. Human strategy, from human strategy to Holy Spirit dependency. One thing I have learned, especially in the last couple years when we're trying to do church the way Paris, God led us to do disciple making, is I have no clue what I'm doing. And... I don't even have connections with people in Columbus. I mean, I know some of the people in Columbus, but I've only been there three years. And in my neighborhood, they always pull up, open the garage, and go inside and close the garage door. So you got to really work. But something about the Holy Spirit. Oh, you guys live in neighborhoods like that? But they do walk their dogs. And they do go to the park. So Paris and I take prayer walks around our neighbor and say, Holy Spirit, show us where you're working. Tell us what you're doing. I kid you not. I mean, I walked out my door the other day after praying. I pray for my neighbors almost every day in our cul-de-sac. And I walked out my door after praying for my neighbors. And she ran up to me and said, please pray for my father. <laughs> he had some kind of tragedy. He, he lost his, he went blind because of some kind of disease his body had. And we prayed for him. Don't you know? that the blindness went away and the doctors were able to give him some medication. But she was so excited to ask us to pray. I got Hindu neighbors next door to us. We've been talking over the fence. They show us how to plant garden and we tell them a little bit about how to speak English. And, and we have these conversations and then my wife been waiting. She has the app on her phone, the Jesus movie in the Nepalese and uh, Nepali, whatever. So one day, the little boy says, what are you doing? She says, well, I just got back from church and we're working on our garden. He goes, tell me about Jesus. The little kid's 10 years old. So his mom and him, Paris tells him about Jesus. He goes, I want to know Jesus. She goes, Paris says, well, I talk to him every day. Really? Yeah. She goes, and matter of fact, would you like to know about him? I got this app right here. Takes out her phone and airdrops the app. I'm talking techno savvy wife. <laughs> airdrops the app and now they're watching the Jesus story over the fence that's Holy Spirit stuff that's, that, that's but I can tell you miracle after miracle we, we prayer walked our neighborhood in Youngstown one of the most violent neighborhoods in the city and the police targeted us for all kinds of grants because we too many people were getting in violence we prayer walked our neighborhood you can ask Carl we'd take 30 people walk up and down the street we weren't obnoxious we would just walk and as we saw people we'd walk up to them and say hey we're praying for the neighborhood is there any way you want us to pray for you and we happen to have about 15 alcohol establishments in a half a mile stretch right so all these bars and everybody's drunk and I, I'll just tell you two stories and we'll go but I get energized by it so we're prayer walking the Holy Spirit's show us Lord what you're doing and first thing that happens is some guy starts screaming at me from the bar. Pastor Al! Pastor! Now, when somebody knows your name and he's in a bar, like my whole membership was like, how does he know you? <laughs> and he was the bouncer at the bar. And, he, and, and, and my people are saying, he wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you. I said, tell him I can't talk to him right now. <laughs> so I walk up. It's my next door neighbor. His wife was leaving him because he had a drug addiction. He falls on the ground. Outside the bar is the bouncer. Gets on his knees and grabs me and says, pray for me. I'm like, stop that. But, but we got down and prayed for him. And in tears, he accepted Jesus. 
I kid you not, I think it was the same walk. I'm not sure Carl remembers. I'm walking up the street, a very gang-infested area. I get to the corner store where all the, all the gang members hang out with their little music and stuff. This car comes flying up the street, flips through around the corner, screeches to a halt, cuts me off. The guy whips his door open and comes running after me. What do you think I'm going to do? I ran. <laughs> and he says, no, 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 I need you. And he, he falls on his knees in the middle of the road at that Conroy shop. And he says, I'm going to die out here in these streets. Pray for me. You know what that's like, right? You got to take the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit is needed. Unless we're desperate for the Holy Spirit, we don't experience the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm desperate in church because that's where I get fueled up, but where I find the Holy Spirit does the most amazing things is in the darkest, ugliest, loneliest places. <laughs> and I just want to tell you that we've got to reactivate the Spirit. Okay, and then we're going to end. Seek the Spirit personally and corporately. God-sized results will happen. All right, so that's my talk about how we can have fresh expressions of the church.